Dear friends, all right. Dear friends, by the time we're in our 40s, we've made enough personal finance decisions to know that some were lucky, some were unlucky, and that our financial situation today could have been entirely different. I try not to think about the stocks that I sold too early, <clears throat> Tesla and Apple, or too late, like Moderna, and I try not to think about the more than $350,000 that we've handed over to our landlords in rent over the past eight years. And what would have happened if we had instead put that money into a down payment on a Bay Area home whose value has nearly doubled in the same amount of time? Actually, I do know the answer to that. It would mean that we would be roughly $800,000 wealthier. Ideally, we accumulate enough financial experience by our 40s so that we make better financial decisions during the second half of life. But that's not how luck works. Tesla's stock could have tanked shortly after I sold it back in 2014. Instead, it went from $15 per share to over $400 per share at its peak. Then again, for anyone who did buy Tesla stock back in September, it has since lost nearly two-thirds of its value since. With each little decision over time, we construct our own economic history. And when we add up all of our individual economic histories, we have the story of the global economy. Next section, so gloomy, so good. Just about every month since 1992, Gallup has called roughly a thousand Americans and asked them the following two questions. First, how would you rate economic conditions in this country today as excellent, good, only fair or poor. Second, right now, do you think that the economic conditions in this country as a whole are getting better or getting worse? And as you can see in the chart included below, Americans are pessimistic about the state of the economy right now. I'm not surprised. The media have relentlessly put up pessimistic headlines. Prices are up, stocks are down, job growth is slowing, Google, Microsoft, and Amazon are laying off employees. But there is another story about the economy that hasn't gotten as much attention. First, inequality is decreasing. Second, real wages are way up over the past decade. Third, social mobility is increasing. And fourth, there are still far more job openings than people who are actually looking for work. We are perhaps in the midst of a transformation of the economy that will make it work for more people. But to appreciate the changes underway, we need to zoom out from the daily headlines. Remember 2014? I sure do. It was the year that Edis and I moved from Mexico City to Seattle. I began a new job at the Gates Foundation, and we put all of our savings into a down payment to buy a house, leaving us with $200 in our checking account. Just a couple weeks later, our two families met for the first time at our courthouse wedding, and I realized that I was entering a new phase of life, adulting, we called it at the time, and I was terrified by the, by the idea of having to make a mortgage payment for the next 30 years. But enough about me. By late 2014, Obama's approval rating had dropped from 70% when he was elected to just 40%, which is lower than Biden's approval rating today. The recovery from the 2008 economic crisis was slow going. Everybody was talking about a best-selling book by a French economist whose name we couldn't pronounce, Thomas Piketty's Capital in the 21st Century. And while few of us read all 700 pages, you couldn't deny the force of his simple observation as laid out in the chart that I included below. 
The return on investments outpaced economic growth overall. And since rich people made their money from their investments, whereas the rest of us make our money from our paycheck, inequality was destined to get even worse. What you can see in this chart is that starting in 1950, there was a rise of shared prosperity. Both workers and investors were winning. The global economy was growing, and the stock market was growing right along with it. But then, starting around 2012, when Obama defeated Romney, the rate of returns of the stock market kept growing, while the growth of the global economy began to slow. Piketty extrapolated these trends to predict that the growth rate of the global economy would continue shrinking, while investments would continue to grow, thereby worsening inequality for decades to come. We got it into our heads back in 2014 that economic inequality was bad and destined to get worse. Then Trump was elected, and we were too distracted by the crazies to pay attention to what actually happened. There were two other economic indicators that we just couldn't stop talking about at the time. First, an up-and-coming economist, Raj Chetty, published a landmark study showing that social mobility had stayed flat for decades, and that the percentage of children making more money than their parents had fallen consistently from 1940 to 1984. Second, the media started labeling millennials as, quote, the unlucky generation, close quote, as real wages fell while housing, healthcare, and college became increasingly unaffordable. We just assumed that all of these trends would continue. Real wages would continue to fall, inequality would continue to increase, and social mobility would stay flat. But that's not what happened. Starting in 2015, real wages began to grow significantly, and especially for the poorest. Social mobility has improved considerably. Both income inequality and especially wealth inequality have declined thanks to growth in wages and the decline of the stock market. 2021 and 2022 saw record job growth and wage growth even as fewer Americans wanted to work. As I write this, there are still more job openings than Americans looking for a job. Which makes me want to write about immigration policy, but we'll save that for another newsletter. We have understandably been distracted by other events. The rise of Donald Trump and a liberal populism, the pandemic, the attack on the U.S. Capitol, Russia's invasion of Ukraine, and now inflation. Hidden behind so much bad news, the economic trends have been remarkable. And there's good reason to believe, as Matt Iglesias describes, that income inequality will continue to fall in the coming years, at least if DeSantis isn't elected president in 2024. Now, back to me. In October of this year, I will be laid off. Granted, this was part of the deal when I started working at Hewlett Foundation nearly eight years ago, and just like all of those Google employees who were laid off last week, I got a pretty sweet severance package, so I'm not complaining. Our plan, as I mentioned a couple weeks ago, is to move back to Mexico and build a house in Oaxaca. The land will probably cost around $100,000, and the building will probably cost another 100000 So this has got us thinking, is now the time to invest in Oaxaca, just as the remote worker boom subsides? Or should we use that money on a down payment on a Bay Area fixer-upper, now that housing prices are falling? But what if San Francisco today, the, quote, most empty downtown in America, becomes the next Detroit, a vestige of an economic engine that then moved to Asia. Wouldn't that money be better off in the stock market? Doesn't the stock market always produce stronger returns than housing? 
who knows? Maybe we're making a brilliant financial decision, maybe a terrible one. Only time will tell. What I have learned during my first half of life is that you op- if, <laughs> is that if you optimize only for your finances, you unwittingly sacrifice other aspects of your life. Your creativity, control over your time, your relationships, hobbies, and sleep. And so while I'm not entirely convinced of the financial logic of our decision, I am pretty damn convinced about the happiness logic. Next section, music to drive fast to in the suburbs. The experts can't explain it. Why are the youth so sad and anxious? Is it social media? Overprotective parenting? That they no longer seem to have sex or do drugs? Cancel culture and safe spaces gone awry? I have the answer. These poor kids don't have rock and roll. Trust me, I listen to more Nick Drake and Ani DeFranco than anyone else of my demographic on Spotify, but even I know the importance of occasionally rocking out. As soon as we got our driver's licenses, my oldest friend Kevin and I used to drive around in our Honda Accord and Saturn SL1, the Saturn was mine, as fast as we could around the Southern California suburbs. There wasn't much else to do, and these were the songs that we listened to. There's a uh, Spotify playlist here. Now that I'm a middle-aged cyclist, might I suggest that the playlist, that this playlist, pairs nicely with the East Bay's Pinehurst Loop. If you press play as you drop down into Redwood Road, which is a total delight that is currently closed to cars, uh, enjoy some of this 1990s rock and roll bliss. Final section is a useful tool, and it's a reading app. I had been using Pocket to read the web for the last 15 years, but then over the winter break, I switched over to Readwise's Reader, which integrates with my library of book and PDF highlights and has GPT-3 built in to summarize sections of text that could have been a little bit more concise. Uh, It is a very cool app. It's what I use first thing every morning. Let me know how it goes for you if you give it a try, and I hope that you have a lovely week.